This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Yo, yo. And we have FBG Kristen, kind of. Good afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Kristen has a bit of a tornado warning on her phone, so if she has to jump off, she's going to jump off, just so you guys know. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) safety first. (laughs) Safety first. We're safe. We're safe. So today we were talking with Dr. Joel Furman, and this interview is very, very intense. He talks all about junk food, processed foods, and just so you guys know, he's not a fan. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. (laughs) Is that your big reveal, Margot? Oh no, I've got a big reveal for you in a second. But but Jen, why, why don't you talk a little bit first about this interview? You and I did this together. Yeah, so I thought this was a um, a fascinating interview, and it was full of so much information, and it definitely had me looking at a lot of food in a lot of uh, in a in a in a different light, in a different way. Because, like, I feel like for you know our mission, and for a lot of our listeners and readers who have struggled and have struggled with dieting, everything has been like so restrictive in your life, where you're like, you're this is bad food and this is good food, and our mission is to kind of like soften that a little bit so that there's more self love kind of believe in like more of the um, 80-20 intuitive eating kind of stuff, 80-20 rule or 80%, you know, healthy food, 20% not so healthy food. And he draws a real firm, (laughs) real firm line, as you'll see on, you know, that shit gives you cancer or that shit messes with a million and a half reasons why you should not be eating that how um and actually some of my favorite parts of the interview which i think kind of is tied into emotional eating too is that um a lot of the times we think that we only eat out of emotion when really some of the foods that we keep reaching for are so addictive and cause such um like crazy drug-like reactions in your brain that you get addicted to them and you kind of lose control and therefore you really shouldn't eat them because it it may actually give you like quote-unquote emotional eating problems which are actually more kind of basically like chemical dependency so all of that he goes like super into uh, the research in that and he's written like, so many books and stuff and tv show and all that on that it's it's really eye-opening and man oh man now when i'm faced with french fries Oh, yeah. We, he, he'll tell you guys in this interview, you'll never look at French fries the same way again. Just the, the effect that they can have on your body. It's just incredible. And so, Kristen, I have a reveal for you. So he, he really drilled in about, you know, obviously eating healthy, but also eating less meat, especially red meat. You know, I'm kind of the meat eater. So yeah. I've been going far more plant-based lately. And last two Saturdays, I went shopping at Whole Foods. I didn't buy anything meat. I bought meatless burgers. I bought vegan cheese that's delicious. I just wanted you to know I made some big, big swaps. And so I've been eating much more that way, and I've been feeling great. So that's my big reveal for you. What's the vegan cheese you've been eating? Oh, God, I'm blanking. There's a few of them. Oh, there's there's Vita, V-I-D-A, which is really good. It's kind of a new one. They, They tend to be coconut milk. And but there's mm. there's one that's like it it comes in Gouda flavored 
and American cheese flavor. Oh. And I just love to nibble on cheese, but I really want to cut down on my dairy consumption. Yeah. So the vegan cheese was like this really great option, but it's like this burger patty. I'll take a picture of it and show you guys. Like it's, it doesn't take exactly like a burger, but it's just got enough of it in there. And you have it in a big salad with a bunch of greens and it is like crazy delicious. So you guys are having so- an effect on me. Well, that is exciting. And I, I will say, I may have said this on the show before, but I was just having this discussion, I don't know, yesterday about the fact that like a veggie burger can be really good. Mm-hmm. You should not go into it expecting it to be exactly like a burger because it's not meat. But you can like if you're looking for, you know, satisfying and, you know, like flavorful and something with some texture, you know, they like, I think some of them are really, really good. So, yes, this is very exciting, Margo. And I I. I think that it's very powerful coming from you saying that this stuff is good. Yeah. Yeah. You were absolutely right. People probably think I'm full of shit. Yeah. (laughs) And and it's actually, it was a little bit cheaper too. And it lasts longer. Yeah. That's true. I was like, yeah, it's it's a no brainer. I mean, still look, I'm going to have some bacon once in a while or I'm going to have some grilled chicken or something, but I could cut down on the red meat for sure. Mm -hmm. And that was like his, believe me, you listen to him. And I also, I got his book and I flipped through his book. I'm like, okay, he's onto something here. I could cut down. I can make some replacements and I'm not going hungry. And it's like really delicious. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. And so he had a reveal for us, by the way. Oh, what was that? He was an Ike, he was a figure skater in the seventies oh, yeah. with his sister. They were champions. But he, they like snuck that in. It's kind of at the end of the interview. We're like, wait, 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 what? A, what? Like, <laughs> let's talk about that. So the think, original ship sibs. They were. They absolutely were in the early seventies. And they, they competed at a very, very high level and then he got injured and then he had to kind of rehabilitate himself and then he started training people and he just got really into eating healthy and being healthy. And he's usually he's not on uh, consumer television. He's on public television because his message is so much that like absolutely no junk food whatsoever, you know, brought to you by subway or you know what I mean like he can't get appetizers he can't get appetizers so he he really walks the walk and yeah he was he's a very interesting like I said it's a lot of information it's a little intense but sometimes you need to be kind of shook up a bit right to pay attention slapped across the face you need to be slapped across the face to get through and I think Margot your experience is kind of like kind of the perfect testimony for this episode and for this interview it's because you didn't you know you you didn't walk away from that and be like, well, I'm never going to meet again. But you were like, the, I, okay, I can do this. I can you make options. You can make it, you can make a swap a couple of times a week. Yeah. And like I said, yeah. it was, it's delicious. It's even cheaper and it lasts longer in the fridge. So I'm like, hell yeah. You know, I'm, I'm and I definitely, crazy. I definitely, I eat fewer French fries. So that, that happened for real. Oh yeah. Well, it's the oh. oil that they use over and over again. That's what really it's, it's all about. So, but I do feel good about it. Like I feel empowered about it. You know, I'm yeah. just like, not right now. <laughs> Not Good. today. Yeah. So. Yeah, because that's a, it, like, as you were just saying that, I'm really excited to listen to this interview. Well, excited slash totally scared. I'm Jesse Spano <laughs> over here. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So, but I'm thinking, like, this is such an interesting balance because, you know, the idea of of never makes something so much more appealing. And that can kind of cycle into the emotional eating aspect. Um, but Jen, I think that's really cool that you were saying that you feel empowered making that choice to have fewer or to say no, because that's where it, it, 
it stays in the healthy area and doesn't become like a disordered, like, no, 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 I can't ever have that. Never, never, never. Yeah. It's um, not like that's going to make me fat. I don't want to eat that or I'm right. not supposed to eat that. Yeah. It's like, don't eat a Tide it's, Pod. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes. Well, it is. I mean, and that is, I think that's kind of his whole point is just like, you know what? People do not have this information. People need to have this information. And it's, it's not, it's serious. It's yeah. serious information. It's seriously important for everyone's health and emotional well-being. So it's great. Cool. Not to pivot too hard. Oh, yeah. But do you know what is really big for my emotional well-being? Leggings? Leggings! Leggings? <laughs> Leggings? We're talking about that was awkward. Right? Leggings with pockets? <laughs> Leggings with pockets Pockets, make me happy. Um. (laughs) The 25th of April. It is a Wednesday. It is the last day that you can order our leggings. Our leggings. In case you guys missed it, we work with um, Four Athletics to Design, and they are available for you. And it's very exciting. Pockets. 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 And they just, they feel great on, they perform well. Um, you can wash them. I've washed mine a million times and they hold up and yeah, they're great quality. So you can go to our website and you can look at the show notes or you can go to fourathletics.com to get yours. Get them. All right, everybody. <laughs> no more French fries <laughs> and mm. leggings with pockets. That's, that's what we're taking away today. Yes. Yes. The important things in life. (laughs) All right, everyone. Here we go with our interview today with Dr. Joel Furman. Dr. Joel Furman is a board-certified family physician, nutritional researcher, and six-times New York Times bestselling author. He serves as president of the Nutritional Research Foundation. Dr. Furman has authored numerous research articles published in medical journals and is on the faculty of Northern Arizona University Health Science Division. He is here today to talk about his newest book, Fast Food Genocide. Welcome to the show, Dr. Furman. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello. So let's get right into your new book. Can you tell our audience how fast food, fried foods, and processed foods are harming us and how we can make changes to our diets to avoid the negative consequences? You know, I think a lot of people recognize today that these junk foods, processed foods, candies, fried foods, I mean, white flour, sugar, I think they're getting a lot of publicity now that these foods contribute to breast cancer, prostate cancer, heart attacks, and strokes. But you know, I don't think people know the extent of how dangerous just even a small amount is, number one. Like for example, the imagine the studies that have come out that show that even one serving of commercial French fries a week That's just one serving a week, eating healthy the whole week, increases risk of breast cancer down the road by more than 26%. We're talking about here that when you heat the oil up over and over again and put a potato in it, it causes oxidation that creates rancidity and carcinogenic compounds formed in the oil and, of course, absorbed deeply in the food and damages our genes to the extent that it doesn't just cause cancer, but if we eat these foods before we even conceive a pregnancy, it can damage our offspring and create autism and learning disabilities and even childhood cancer and brain tumors in your children. So we're talking about people don't understand the extent of how dangerous these foods are and how how destructive they are to the human genome, that we're weakening the genes we're passed on to future generations by taking these foods that are damaging our genes 
and damaging our eggs when we're teenagers or children by eating these foods, even before we, before we give birth. Um, furthermore, one in five Americans are now mentally ill. And who, nobody's discussing the scientific link between these processed foods, brain destruction, dementia, but also loss of intelligence, loss of creativity, creating the mental fog that's linked to depression. So much so, let me just give you this other study that shows that just two servings of commercial baked goods a week, such as croissants, bagels, or donuts, or fast food, just two servings a week is linked to a doubling the risk of developing major depression. And that's just a little bit of these foods to show you how damaging they are. Even moderate use is so dangerous. And other mentally illnesses that are more severe, and nobody's discussing the the relationship between fast food and mental illness. And we just have a epidemic of drug, of prescribed medications for everything that ails people instead of understanding and dealing with and addressing causation. It's like that, you know, can you imagine, it's like we have a, a, you know, a highway where the bridge went out and cars are just running right over the bridge to their death. But people at the base of the cliff are like collecting people that are hurt in ambulances and shooting them and, you know, scurrying them off to the hospital. And nobody's putting up a sign or a, or, a bat, or a barrier or anything to stop people from going off the bridge. And it's just our whole society and our whole medical profession and our, the whole anti-cancer movement is look, linked to doing research to find this magic pill that people are going to eventually take so they can smoke three packs of cigarettes a day and not get lung cancer. It's utterly an insanity. Or this magic pill that we cannot get breast cancer and eat the American diet, which is so breast cancer causing. Yet, we have the information today and we have the advances in nutritional science right now to wipe out heart attacks, wipe out strokes, wipe out dementia, stop breast cancer from occurring in our population. You know, all these things are potentially possible though the simple advances in nutritional science we have available and we're just nobody is discussing this and we're just totally confused and uninformed about what we're doing to ourselves. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> just to, you know, Let's all just take a big deep breath because that is a lot of powerful, amazing um, information. And I, I have like a million and a half questions, but let me um, see if I can just get one out currently while I'm processing. Um, what the hell are what, what the hell should we do? Is there because um, that is terrifying and also very empowering. You know what I mean? Like once you know, then you you can you can do better. Um, do you believe that there is like I kind of probably know the answer to this, but any room for any of that processed food? And um, if you can also kind of talk on, because I know you've also written books about um, dieting um, and how diets don't work, the the also the mental aspect of how so many of us have gone about eating healthier weight loss by being incredibly restrictive and now have unhealthy relationships with quote unquote, good foods and bad foods. Can you talk about kind of managing that along with what you're saying and how people can really make good choices sustainably and feel really good about it? Yeah, I, I, let's talk a little bit about that and we can take it where you'd like. Okay, awesome. Um, first of all, um, you know, there's a biological mechanism via which these processed foods become addicting and affect the human brain. And through a lot of different mechanisms, one is making your brain insensitive to dopamine because they stint when foods rush into the bloodstream so rapidly. In other words, we're talking about how fast the calories enter the bloodstream. When you eat a bagel or some or a French fry 
or you know donuts that you get calories entering the bloodstream like a 25 to 50 calories a minute are coming into the bloodstream when you're eating beans or nuts or green vegetables you're getting calories like one or two calories a minute coming into the bloodstream it takes three or four hours to absorb the carbohydrate from beans and nuts you don't need a huge insulin response but besides the huge insulin response and insulin of course is a fat storage hormone that also promotes cellular replication angiogenesis, which means the growth of new blood vessels to fuel the fat supply, in promoting fat growth and cellular replication and cellular that promotes cancer, the fat cal the, the, the calories entering large amounts at all one time from fast food, and I'm talking here about fast food that are foods that we can access fast, we can eat it fast, we can digest it fast, the calories are absorbed rapidly, you know, but not only does it create obesity and and uh, us to gain weight rapidly, and not only is it hormonally unfavorable, promoting hormones that promote cancer, but it also signals dopamine release in the brain, which gives you a high and a psychological in inducement to keep eating that food. But as you keep eating the food, you become more and more dopamine insensitive, needing larger and larger amounts to feel the same pleasure. And they also deaden the taste buds. So you need more sweetness and more salt and more spice and more, your taste buds get deadened, your dopamine becomes insensitive. And what I'm saying right now is that the stimulation of dopamine and the brain stimulation from fast foods and sugars and white flowers and oils and these highly absorbable and rapidly absorbable calories are linked now to drug use and drug abuse. And, we, and the more candy and fast food you eat as a child, the higher risk of developing drug abuse and alcoholism and being incarcerated in a federal prison because of drug use because you ate more candy as a child. And that association is closer than the association of poverty and drug use or bad parenting and drug use or abusive parenting and drug use, or lack of parents and drug use, the closest association is how much junk, fast food, and candy, and soda you consumed in your childhood is the biggest, is the closest, you know, association with drug use and this type of nonviolent crime, and it makes people into food addicts. And we're talking here about, there's a biology of food addiction because our body cycles into detoxification and retention modes. In other words, when we're eating food, we feel better because we can't detoxify what we're eating and digesting. It's when we stop eating and we're finished digesting food is when the body most effectively self-cleanses itself. And because people's body are so toxic and they're so used to eating fast food, they feel shaky and weak and headachy and stomach cramping and uncomfortable and even a little anxious in the non-digestive state, which I call the catabolic phase of the digestive cycle. So they're forced to overeat and they're forced to overconsume calories and they're forced to eat, eat too frequently just to feel, feel okay. So I really disagree with the question, so to speak, a little bit here, because until people understand the biology and how to get rid of the biochemical food addiction, it's very hard to deal with the emotional overtones, because the emotional overtones when you're an addict and also when you have the withdrawal from the bad food is your body is delusional. And it's looking for irrational, any kind of rationalization, even how irrational it may be, to justify eating a bad food and to justify your food addiction, your overeating behavior. You can't get in touch with eating healthy and liking it and enjoying it until you biologically flood your body with enough quality nutrients and you start to actually understand it takes a little time to actually feel worse before you can feel better and then you can have a better, make better choices. But what I'm saying right now, I guess, is that for people to really succeed long-term in the dietary arena, to maintain a, a, a lighter weight more comfortably, eating what they feel like eating, what they enjoy eating the most, because the, the goal here 
is to get people to enjoy eating healthy foods, and that's the foods they'll choose to eat. And the food, and the amount of food they choose to eat, is the right amount because that's what they feel like eating. But the addictive nature of the processed food just discombobulates the whole biology, so they have no control, and they can't even judge how much to eat, and they can't even judge what to eat, and they're not in control of their own devices anymore. It's like they've lost the keys to the bank. So it's a very complicated question, and I know it's a complicated answer, but I guess I'm saying that you know, if people, I, I want people to learn a lot and become like nutritional experts in this field, and then they, and then they are able to control these issues much better. So that's where I, you know, I write books and I have, teach on videos, and I have so much information to impart to people because I, I've learned over the years that if they really develop the expertise and thoroughly understand this information, their chance for success multiplies, you know, exponentially. No, that's awesome, and I, I. Um... I, I really, really, truly like a, agree with so much that you're saying. And I think that when you, it also, in my experience, takes away some guilt from some people when they're like, why can't I stop eating this? Why can't I eat healthy? Why can't I make change? When you're right. like, no, it's like you're addicted. These are the things that are happening to you and your body and your hormones and everything. They can be like, oh, well, gosh, it's not just, it's not a character flaw. You know, it's, it's your body responding to toxins, like you said. That's right. And, and being overweight is not a disease flaw either. In other words, well, let me just say this, that the ability to have a slow metabolic rate is linked to slower aging and a longer life. So that means that I know all the fad diets and all the gimmicks out there are trying to give people some substance or some trick or, or, or fad that's going to have them speed up their metabolic rates. So they can eat more food and not get fat. But the reality is that the most proven, the only proven actually um, intervention to radically extend human lifespan is to eat less calories in an environment of micronutrient excellence. We're talking about moderate caloric restriction in an environment of nutritional, um, nutritional excellence or micronutrient, you know, a good micronutrient exposure, especially antioxidants and phytochemicals. The other thing is that, it, that a high exposure to micronutrient and phytochemicals naturally suppresses appetite. And then, so we're talking here about you're eating as much as you want. You just don't want as much when you're exposed to a very high micronutrient exposure. What I'm saying right now is that when your diet has a poor nutritional quality, you, it's like trying to breathe less air. You always want more food than you really should be having because your diet is low in nutrients, number one. And of course, number two, when you slow your metabolic rate down, when you're, you know, when you're, um, that means that you're. You're aging slower, your tissues are, your, res your respiratory quotient is burning less calories, your body temperature is lower, your, um, your thyroid is working slow. It's the opposite of what people think. You can eat less food and not get so hungry. You don't feel ill when you're not eating food. You don't feel shaky and weak when you're not eating food. You, you just feel mild hunger. Hunger transitions to a different sensation. It's felt in the throat in a very mild sensation in the bottom of the throat. Up, you know, bottom part of the neck and throat. And if you're hungry and there's no food around to eat, you're okay with dealing with without eating. You just wait till you, you wait till you get food. It's not so imperative. It's not so difficult to eat the right amount of food. And and what I'm saying right now is true hunger is a precise computer to direct you to the exact amount of calories you need to maintain lean body mass. You can't put fat on your body unless you've eaten outside of the demands of true hunger due to toxic hunger, recreational eating, emotional eating. So the body instinctually drives you to your perfect weight once you understand how to read its sensations and once you feed it healthy enough. And it makes, it wipes dieting out, the, it takes it out of the, the 
It takes it out the window, so to speak. You don't have to diet. You just eat the amount you feel like eating, and you feel like eating the right amount if you improve the nutritional quality. And of course, when people learn how to make healthy food taste great, and they get that full taste sensation of eating when they're hungry and waiting to eat till they have real hunger, then it heightens taste sensation tremendously. So a person said to me, they knocked on the door of my office and said, hey, Joel, you want this incredibly healthy you know, mushroom bean soup we made? It's delicious. You got to try it. And I'll say, yeah, I'd love to have it, but let me, let me just put it on my desk or maybe heat it up an hour or two from now when I'm hungry because that's when I'll enjoy it more. I don't even feel like eating anything. And what I'm saying is my body precisely tells me how much to eat. You don't have to measure, count, weigh. You know, you, you, when you're healthy, this, and you instinctually eat the right amount. And when you eat healthy foods, there's no worry about eating the wrong amount either because you just if you eat more calories at one meal. You're just not, you're just, your hunger for the next meal takes longer to happen. And overall, the calories balance themselves out. So it actually oversimplifies, it simplifies this. It makes it so easy to do once we focus on the nutritional quality and teach people about this. So you mentioned French fries and bagels before. Are there other, can you describe other dangerous foods a person can eat that's going to affect their health negatively? Sure. Well, first of all, let's divide foods into three categories right now. One is animal products, 33% of the American diet. Two is processed foods, pasta, bread, salad oils, mayonnaise, donuts, cookies, crackers, rice cakes, breakfast jars, chips, cornflakes, you know, cold cereals, candy, soda, everything people are eating. And the third category would be, I guess, would be produce or things closer to their natural state that have not been highly processed or refined, like fruits and vegetables, beans, nuts and seeds, and whole intact grains, like steel-cut oatmeal or something, you know. Um, so b dividing those three categories, let's look at what Americans eat right now. Americans eat... 60% of calories from processed foods, 33% from animal product, and less than 5% from colorful pro from produce and, and intact foods that are not been overly processed. Now, that I always make a joke and I say this, you know, I always the joke is this diet's been designed to kill us by Al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the joke because you couldn't design a more cancer-causing diet because it's the IGF-1 insulin sandwich that causes breast cancer. And everyone who, you know, so in other words, more than half of all American adult women have breast cancer. People go, what? Half? What? It only kills, you know, 5%. What are you talking about half? But the point here is that, that, is that if we had the technology, which is emerging, technology is emerging in the next five years to, do, to detect breast cancer through blood biopsies in, these, in stage zero or stage one, we'd find most adult women have breast cancer because they're eating American food and eventually doesn't kill most women. They most of them will never know they have it because the time it gets big enough to be seen by a mammogram, it's been there more than 10 or 15 years at that point, that's late stage diagnosis. And breast cancer when it's early stage is still reversible, easily reversible, but most women have breast cancer if we have the diagnostic um, technology to, just to identify it, which we're starting to have today. The point I'm making here is that when you eat these processed carbohydrates and oils and, and fast foods, even without the, you know, the chemicals, even without the, the fuel-retardant chemicals and the arsenic and the rice and the fuel-retardant chemicals and the chicken and, the, and all the, um, you know, the, 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 the glycophosphates and the, and the corn and the, besides all the chemical and the chemical additives and colorings and synthetics and flavorings and color, you know, and food additives and stabilizers and softeners, besides all that carcinogenic stuff and the, the facts are is that these foods are, are, you know, and even the World Health Organization has classified barbecued meats, processed meats, red meats, and, 
and fried foods is a class one carcinogen, the same category as cigarette smoking and asbestos. A class one carcinogen means a definitive carcinogen, not, not a probable carcinogen, but a definite carcinogen. Um, nevertheless, um, people are eating carcinogenic substances, but when they eat these high glycemic carbohydrates, they're ins and they're overweight, the insulin could be five to 10 times as high as a healthy person. And that insulin is cancer promoting. But then if you eat animal products, like if you're eating like a hamburger or pizza or you know macaroni and cheese or spaghetti and meatballs, you eat that refined carbohydrate with a high pr animal protein load, the animal protein raises IGF-1. It's bad enough the animal protein is barbecued or grilled or flame broiled or fried, where you create heterocyclic amines and N-nitrose amino compounds and other carcinogenic substances. It's bad enough that the animal protein upsets the bacterial balance in the gut. So you now produce trimethylamine oxide, which, is in, which inflames the blood vessels and accelerates atherosclerosis. But what I'm saying right now is the high animal protein promotes excessive amount of IGF-1 because people eat so much animal products in this country, 33%. All the blue zones eat between, you know, zero, between, actually between 2% and 10%. But the, you know, the longest lived centenarians all studied around the world always eat, you know, in that way under 10%, close to the 5 to 7% range. But the, what I'm saying right now is that when you eat so much animal products and you mix all those animal products with the high glycemic carbohydrates, even without the chemicals, you produce an insulin-like growth factor one, an IGF-1 insulin sandwich. And it's that combination of hormones that powerfully produce cellular replication, cellular growth, and breast cancer. And then the extra fat on the body makes the fat cells produce estrogen. So now we have an estrogen, IGF-1, insulin, hormonal, situation that's extremely breast cancer promoting. So the, uh, that's where that the joke comes in, the American diet perfectly designed to create a breast cancer epidemic is sent over here by Al-Qaeda or by ISIS, because this is the, you know, we're eating the worst possible cancer promoting foods and obesity creating, diabetic creating, dementia creating diet you could possibly eat. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, holy crap, I really need to change how I eat. Um, what would you recommend they do first? Okay, there's a couple of things people could do that are just, that will incredible transform America that are so easy. Um, the first one is to have a salad once a day as a main dish. In other words, a, a very big salad, and on the salad put like red onion or some scallion or some, and a little cruciferous added to the lettuce, like some cruciferous like shredded cabbage or watercress or arugula or kale you know, with a nut-based dressing, a delicious dressing. One of my favorite dressings is just an orange, a navel orange blended with some cashew nuts and toast, lightly toasted sesame seeds with some blood orange vinegar and a little squeeze of lemon. It's fantastic on a salad. Or, or, I'll, or I'll take tomato sauce, I'll whip it up with some almonds and sunflower seeds and some blood orange and some black fig vinegar and, a dinner and some roasted garlic or something, you know. Mm -hmm. In other words, a delicious health. So I'm making the dressings healthy. But if people just had a salad every day, and it's easy. You can make the dressing on like Wednesday night and Sunday night. Make a few dressings or buy the, you know, the nut-based, these really healthy dressings without salt, oil, and nut, and that contain these nuts and seeds that facilitate the absorption of the anti-cancer compounds in the salad. But they fill you up. It floods you with nutrients. And then on the weekend, make a giant pot of vegetable bean soup with mushrooms and vegetable broth and you know, make a giant, get these, if you make this giant pot of vegetable bean soup, you can put it in your refrigerator Sunday nights and put it into 10 different containers on Monday morning and take, you can take the salad and the soup and a piece of fruit with you to work every day. The point I'm making is lunch is the most important meal of the day. 
Because breakfast, you can have oatmeal with flax seeds, with berries. And, you know, if people just ate a healthy breakfast and a lunch, boy, it would transform America in astonishing effects on Americans' health. If we just, because lunch is the meal that should be the biggest meal, number one. We should be eating a lighter dinner because eating, eating lighter dinners and eating an earlier dinner extends lifespan. There's even a study that showed that women who, who had a 13-hour window between the end of dinner to the start of breakfast who had breast cancer had more than a 25% decreased mortality in the group over 10 years compared to those women with breast cancer who did not have that as long a window, eating the same food and the same calories. So we're talking about eating an earlier dinner, giving you more time to detoxify in a non-feeding state at night. That's another secret to, to benefiting everybody, breast cancer and dietary favorability and reduced diabetes risk. And you want to eat an earlier and lighter dinner. But I'm saying eating a big hearty lunch with beans and nuts and salad and vegetables and soup and a piece of fruit, it's so easy to do if people just did these two things it would absolutely transform America's healthcare crisis. And it's the start, it's a great place, because you said, where do you start? It's a great place to start for the people, just to say, well, just do that, that's a great place to start. Awesome. I want people to start, of course, by reading my books and to understand the science, mm -hmm. become so educated that they know, that they're so informed, they wouldn't consider taking a drug or being diabetic or having high blood pressure, being demented or getting cancer. That they're so enthused and so excited about the power of nutritional excellence that they're gonna jump in with excitement and enthusiasm. So speaking of your book, Fast Food Genocide, this we are here talking about today, you talk very deeply about why is it so hard for people to give up processed foods. Could you go into that a little bit more here? Sure. There's lots of reasons, and we, we talked about a few of them already. Um, one reason is that these designer food, or I call them Frankenfoods, that are designed to steal your taste, you know, they don't just put salt on the French fry. They put salt in the French fry. So you can't even taste it. So you're getting more salt in your body. They put salt and sugar in the burger meat, in the meat itself. And they put salt in the colas, by the way, by the, by, to make you want to drink more. What I'm saying is that the effect of these foods to make you overeat, because the things that make you overeat calories are add sugar. You know, they, scientists have determined this, and that's why the food scientists do it. Because you add more oil and sugar and salt to the food, and people are going to eat more of it. It makes them into addicts. You know, SOS, sugar, salt, and oil. So we, the, the point is, is that you, it's the formula to make, if you can, you know, if I had like a buffet, people coming to the buffet to eat how much they food they, and if, and everybody who walked into the buffet, I handed them an apple as they waited in line, they would just eat 65 calories less on the buffet because they had the apple, right? And then the body registers the fiber and the nutrients in the apple to eat 65 calories less. But on the other side of the room, the people coming to the buffet, instead of giving them an apple, I gave them a tablespoon of olive oil of 120 calories. They wouldn't eat 120 calories less than the buffet because there's no fiber and nutrients in the olive oil. They just took in the extra 120 calories. But worse than that, scientists determined that if we put the oil with the food, they don't just get the extra 120 calories from the oil. Now they want to eat more food with the oil in it. So they wind up taking in more than 250 extra calories compared to giving them, let's say, walnuts instead of walnut oil or sesame seeds instead of sesame oil. The complete biologically opposite effects what the oil makes you want to consume extra calories and it doesn't turn down the apostat, it actually turns up the apostat. Whereas the whole food with all its fibers and sterols and stanols bind fat, shunt calories into the toilet bowl because they have more stool fat because the sterols and stanols and fibers have, are a fat magnet that take fat out of the body and they shut down the apostat so you're not going to want to eat as much food anyway. So we're talking here that 
All these things may why people can't control their appetite are very complicated, but it has to do with a deadening of the taste buds, uh, that, that eating, that putting oil in food and putting salt and sugar makes people want to eat more. And then they don't get an, and want to eat more calories, right? They want to, they want to eat, they eat more food when foods are heavily flavored like that. And they deaden the taste buds. So now a cashew nut has no flavor and lettuce doesn't taste sweet and an avocado and it doesn't, you can't even taste the natural saltiness in vegetables anymore. And people claim they don't like vegetables, that an artichoke has no flavor because they've, they've deadened their taste buds um, with all these rich flavors and, and excessive seasonings. Um, of course, the, the taste comes back in a few months if you start to eat healthy again, but and they learned a lot of the recipes. So I guess what I'm saying right now is that, you know, people listening, they sometimes think that, you know, oh, I just would rather die 10 years younger and just eat what I feel like eating and enjoy my life more. But that's such a myth. That's, what the, that's a, a food addict talking because you're not enjoying your life more. You don't just die 10 years younger, by the way. It's about 20 years, number one. And number two, you suffer in those last 10 years before you die. Untold suffering in a nursing home or with medical difficulties that cause discomfort and pain and loss of intelligence and you, can, you can't take care of yourself. And it's, it's, it's tragically, it's almost, it's preferable to be dead younger if you're gonna live like that. So the, so the, uh, the tragedy that develops because of that attitude is, is incredible. But because you live such a more fulfilled life, but the other myth is that you're not enjoying your food more. You're enjoying your food less. When you're eating healthfully and you actually fully detox from the fast food and the processed foods, you can enjoy the full flavor that's present in healthy foods and you learn such incredible great recipes. And that you intellectually and emotionally enjoy them and you can eat more of them and you don't have to cut the thimble-sized portions because they're good for you. Like I have a vanilla ice cream, right, that I'm having tonight, let's say with my son, you know, with my, with my family here tonight. And that ice cream might be made from a frozen banana, a handful of macadamia nuts, and some real vanilla bean powder ground in. Tastes incredibly delicious. You know, and it's better tasting than a regular ice cream, which is using like some artificial vanilla flavoring that tastes like chemicals. You can taste in the, and you can taste the bleach in your mouth, and it's so heavily sweetened, sweetened with sugar, you can't even enjoy the natural vanilla. We're talking here about that I actually did a study with more than 750 people, that people following this nutritarian approach, this high nutrient approach using these, these developed recipes, they like the taste of it better than their old diet, which has recorded just as much enjoyment from food, but that didn't occur right away. That took months to occur. So we're talking about three to six months, then there's no decrease in enjoyment or pleasure. Then the addictive sensations and the emotional eating goes, goes down and you're, you're not fighting your, the, the the addictive driver, but the, the real painful addictive stuff, the stuff that causes you to be weak and fatigued and anxiety and shaky, that goes away in three days anyway, three or four days. So the person, once the person knows what it's gonna feel like and how bad they're gonna feel, and they know it's gonna go away in a few days, they're easy to deal, they're better handle intellectually and emotionally to deal with it. Because they know, okay, I'm gonna cut out the junk food, I know I'm gonna feel bad, I know I'm gonna crave it, I know it's gonna be difficult, but it's only gonna be a few days, and I can do this for a few days. And then it starts getting a lot easier after those first three days. So I know we have a lot of um, listeners and readers who, you know, they travel and maybe they, they eat, you know, pretty healthy most of the time, but, you know, they get on an airplane or a road trip or something, and it's like, you know, fast food seems to be the only option. Um, how, how, I think you travel a lot. So how do you deal with that? And what tips can you give um, people? You know, it's funny because in, in the situation? month of March, from March 3rd to my, March 20th, I'm going to be on the road every single day. You know, I'm doing all my shows for PBS television then. But yeah, I mean, you're right. When, I, I tr when you travel, you might be at a party and somebody might be snorting cocaine or shooting up heroin. It's convenient to do that. Why don't you just do it? It's convenient. You know, I mean, it's, this, <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing. Right. People, but food addicts, 
come up with excuses why it's okay to just snort cocaine or smoke cigarettes. Or so cigarette smokers will say, it's never the, you know, it's too stressful right now. I, my son, my car is smashed up or I lost my job. I got I can't quit smoking right now. They think that their, that this, their addiction is relieving stress when in fact it's taking away their ability to solve the problems in their life. They're, it's lowering their creativity and intelligence. And addictions reduce your intelligence and take away your choices. And the only thing that gives you back choice and back your full creativity and your full intelligence is abstinence from the addictive substance for a long enough period of time. So the, so I wouldn't think of having you know, a cookie or a donut or a french fry when I'm traveling because it's convenient anymore. I would smoke cigarettes or snort cocaine because it was be convenient. I, and I wouldn't even desire that. It wouldn't even be something I'd want to put in my body. You couldn't get 10 men to tie me down and force me to do it because I wouldn't enjoy it. It would just be distasteful. I would feel bad after I did it anyway. So it's just, you know, it's just people need distance from their addictions. They, need, and they have to prepare. They have to set up a business plan. I'm not saying it's so easy to do it. But when you create the business plan, you know, of when you're going to shop, what you're going to cook, what you're going to eat, what you're going to bring with you, what, how you're going to prepare for this, where you, you know, I land the plane, I go to Whole Foods Market, I get the salad bar with the beans on top, I buy a, a bag of frozen blueberries, I take the, you know, when you figure out what you're going to do and you have a plan, you stick with the plan and you know, you, you've, you know in advance where you're going to eat, where you're going to buy the food, where, you, you know, which restaurant is acceptable, what to do, and you, and you do it. I carry, I'm like a familiar cereal in my room, in my bag with some nuts and stuff, and I, uh, whatever I bring on, a, bring delicious food on the plane with me. I'll make a maybe a roasted portobello sandwich with a basil. I'll take a, a garlic nutter. I'll make by blending cashews, hemp seeds with roasted garlic and a little um, unsweetened soy milk. Put a little um, basil in there to make a garlic a garlic nutter with basil, and I'll put that on a little um, pita bread or a, or an Ezekiel like a food for life Ezekiel whole grain bread with with portobello mushrooms, red onion, tomatoes, spinach, and maybe some avocado, and put it wrap it up in silver foil. I'll take an incredibly delicious. To me, that's like super delicious. You know, your taste buds get used to these healthy foods, and I'll take my delicious foods with a couple of clementines or you know some you know sumo tangerine and some a handful of nuts, and or I'll just take the food with me on the plane, or a big salad, or or, or the mixed vegetable dish with my. Thai curry peanut, you know, sauce or something. Want to make delicious food with me? And now nowhere. So, you, and if there's no food available, it's okay not to eat because you're not feeling ill, and you don't have to eat, and you're not going to feeling that weak or tired or shaky. And hunger is very um, is not that unfavorable. I could wait till I land or till I get there until like to eat something I want to eat. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm fully committed to eating good, to being healthy because I feel so great. I love the way I feel. I enjoy the food so much. It's the foods I prefer to eat and enjoy the most. And I'm trying to teach people how to achieve that so they're no longer craving the other foods. They're no longer desiring them. and They no longer feel the need to imbibe in them just because they're in front of them, you know? What are your suggestions? We we have some moms and moms-to-be that listen to the show, young moms, or have young kids at home. Uh, what are your suggestions for them to help get their kids to enjoy nutrient-dense foods? What are your suggestions? Well, your home should be very should be safe. That's the most important thing. And the other thing is your parents have to model the behavior you want your children to do. So whatever, and also, whatever you do, you have to come up with a you, you have to have family learning time where you share about nutrition and the kids contribute. So when I'm seeing families, I always tell the kids, I need your help. I need to enlist your help to help your parents eat healthier. I don't focus on the kids. I focus on the kids helping to make sure the parents eat healthier because they usually don't. 
and I and, and teaching the kids children how important it is for the parents not to have a heart attack, not to get dementia, not to get cancer, and the kids to set a good example for the parents and eating healthy foods because the parents are the more at more likely addicted. It takes many years to become so addicted as most parents are. The children don't are enjoy the peach ice creams and they love the these healthy foods and smoothies and desserts they can make and they use the agar agar to make gelatins and and to make all kinds of healthy things. The kids love gardening and eating peas out of the garden and showing them how to make food and kids are excited about this and you, they 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 suck up the learning like a sponge of how what you eat makes your body and how you we can win the war on cancer and we can you know we they love an understanding about smoking and how smoking how parents used to smoke and they didn't know that it was bad for them and we don't do that anymore and they love the idea that we don't have to have the have the diseases that our older generation is getting like cancers and 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 dementia and strokes and putting people in nursing homes and and right now believe it or not in the food deserts and in inner city food deserts where people eating largely fast foods the majority of their calories they have 10 times the risk of early life stroke before age 45 than regular than other populations and there's probably a five-fold difference in breast cancer incidence as well between one part of the countries and other parts of the countries where healthier food is more available you know and we're, we're talking here about the fact that children understand that that food makes your body and we have a choice in life to be smarter and to realize the American dream and have a good life in our future and they're not that dumb they can grasp this it's parents that sabotage it, you know, because they're the they're the one of the most addicted things. And the kid, I don't. And when your house is a healthy example of healthy eating, the kids get my kids and are proud of it, and they're proud of sharing the great recipes and the delicious, you know, healthy recipes with their friends, and then showing, you know, and they're and I have kids who come to my house of my friends of my children. They go, well, you should teach. I got to teach my parents how to make this stuff. This is like fantastic. This is delicious stuff, and it's so healthy and it's incredible. And it's amazing. All my my three daughters, how many healthy friends they've enlisted to eat healthfully, and to change so many families just through my children being examples, spreading the world about word in an excited way of how much they love eating healthy food and how great it tastes and how. You know, so I, I think there has to be enthusiasm. There's a lot of love and goodwill for each other in sharing the information and supporting each other. There's a lot of family time you spend together, you know, um, making healthy recipes together and, and, and even gardening and, and is, a great exercise, is a great activity to do as a family. I think it brings the family together and it makes you feel more um, care and love for each other. And really, um, it's a way, an expression of love, you know, because you can say, you know, a child understands that, you know, um, you, you say to them, you know, what would you do if you were the parent and you loved your child as much as I love you? You know, you'd want the best for them. And that's why it's so, that's, you know, and then they get, they grasp it. They gra they understand, you know. That's really cool. It's beautiful. It's so true. So I think it's probably about time for us to wrap up. So Margo, you want me to ask a final question or one more question? Oh, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So I, I'm just kind of interested, like, how did you get into this line of work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been my passion since I was a teenager. I was on the United States World Figure Skating Team. I was third in the world in in not in world professional pair skating with my sister in 1976. What? Wow. Yeah, That's I was crazy. Second in the United States pairs championships in 1973 and then I was on crutches in 74 when the number one team ahead of us retired so I so but anyway anyway so I so I was eating healthy just for competitive stamina and not getting sick 
you know, and my father was kind of sickly and overweight when we were younger, and he changed his diet around and got healthier. And then we just ate healthy because it was what we did, like it was just to compete and to stay well, and you know what I mean? And I became, I started coaching skating, and, co- and I used to be in, you know, um, have world-class competitors, and I, and I just recognized that my passion um, when I left the skating world was really like to, to really use nutrition as a therapeutic modality, you know, which is so powerful to reverse disease. So I wanted to create a medical practice where I reversed diabetes, reversed asthma, reversed autoimmune disease, got people off diabetic medications, became non-diabetic, reversed heart disease, got off autoimmune drugs and got rid of their lupus and psoriasis. And by the way, a good example is Venus Williams, who was on the, who had to leave the professional tennis for two yeah. or three years and then went back into professional tennis after she changed her diet to a nutritarian style diet and then got rid of her psoriasis, got rid of her, her Sjogren's syndrome. And so many of my patients got rid of their um, lupus and Sjogren's and psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. And it's just so, so I, I really went to medical school with the intent to be a physician specializing in nutritional in this in nutrition in nutritional medicine and it became just incredibly rewarding and then I had the opportunity to reach out and to you know write I decided to write books and and I had an opportunity with PBS to do my television show and to reach more people and it's just been unbelievably exciting to see so many millions of people that have transformed their health and then and, and they're actually more and more people are being actually understand that they have choice and they can control their health destiny. And then the American College of Lifestyle Medicine developed about 20 years ago. And then they've started to develop a board certification where you now have a whole new board um, developing physicians that are trained to use nutritional excellence to reverse disease and not just drugs. So that's been an exciting um, development and I've been, that I've been part of. And then you know, with the Nutritional Research Foundation, and producing more research studies to show the effectiveness of this. And I have a, actually a study going on with, at Northern Arizona University today called the Nutritarian Women's Health Study, showing that breast cancer can be prevented and early stages of breast cancer reversed. And, and, and by the way, if women want to join that study or learn more about it, they can go to nutritionalresearch.org and they can learn more about the Nutritarian Women's Health Study or even join the study if they pledge to eat so healthfully for the rest of their life. They can become part of these thousands of women who are eating healthy to prevent breast cancer. So I have all these exciting things going on, which is really um, obviously developed out of my career, which I never expected to have so much, um, you know, I never um, expected to have so much, I guess, influence or so much personal satisfaction, but it's been a really a, a wonderful experience. and I'm very grateful for to have this opportunity. That's awesome. I do want to actually ask one more question. If that's Thank okay. you. Okay. Appreciate it. So can you talk a little bit about your PBS show? Well, I've had um, shows on PBS for the last five years. And, um, you know, I've had Never Diet Again and Three Steps to Incredible Health and, um, and, and the Dr. Herman's Immunity Solution. And this year, starting next, starting the beginning of March 2018, is um, my, a re-release of my 2012 show called Three Steps to Incredible Health. Um, it's going to be aired all over the country in March with a new pledge drive part of the show, which means that new gift package and new interviews with me in between the sections of the show. I'm really excited about that. It's my, I think, my fifth or sixth year as a regular on PBS TV. I've been one of the most important and largest fundraisers for PBS television. And I love PBS because they've, not just because they're supporting my shows, been reaching millions of people, but also because it's the only place I can go and tell people the science without on television without have the sponsors and the commercial in, you know, influences telling what you can and cannot say and, right. you know, 
And, and it's one mm. of my shows, and it's always telling me what I can say and what I can't say, and, and it's always trying to please the sponsors. It's really, it's, it's colored news. It's not, it's, so like PBS is because it allows me to really go straight to the people, right into the living room. So I'm really excited about that, you know, about my, about the, so, and supporting PBS television. So I work to support PBS television through my shows. I've raised over $35 million for PBS TV. Um, so that's, so people watch, DVR it. You know, we'll yeah. look at my show, DVR, and watch my show, and I'm sure you're gonna, it's really going to be um, motivating for you. Awesome. So I will ask the last question of this interview, and this is what we ask all of our guests. It's super exciting. Um, what is the last song that you listened to before you did this interview? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, let's see. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, I was watching the I was watching the women's ice skating on television, you know, yeah. enjoying some of the music they were using for their apps. That you know, um, sorry, I don't know the exact last song I listened to. I, you know, I, I like a lot of different types of music, all different styles. A lot of great music nowadays out there. You know, yeah. sorry, I can't give you. I can't think of what was the last thing I did. I'm <laughs> so busy lately. Other than what, a little TV, well, other Olympic watching at night. I haven't been doing much recreation lately. I think I think Olympic ice skating, just songs in general, is a is an awesome answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll accept that. That's that's yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been very educational, <laughs> to say the least. You're, you're a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck and best of health to all you and all your listeners and friends. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.